You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. A BC man who died of rabies he contracted from a bat on Vancouver Island has been identified as 21-year-old Nick Major. His death, although rare, raises many questions tonight. Only 25 people have died of rabies in Canada since the 1920s. The most recent cases were in Ontario in 2012 and Alberta in 2007. This is the third rabies-related fatality in B.C. However, there are some important steps to take if you come into contact with a bat. And Linda Aylesworth explains what experts say everyone should know. The Wildlife Rescue Association in Burnaby regularly treats a vast array of animals in distress, but none elicits more precautions than bats. That's not overkill? It's not overkill. Uh, personal protective equipment is very important when you're dealing with any sort of animal that can uh, give you disease, especially something as serious as rabies. It was rabies that recently claimed the life of 21-year-old Nick Major, a Vancouver Island martial arts instructor who came into contact with a rabid bat in mid-May. And within six weeks started developing symptoms that progressed rapidly um, until the point where he went into a coma and died. Nick is the first person to die rabies in B.C. since 2003. He didn't realize he had been bitten or scratched, not surprising since most bats are so small. If he had known before symptoms set in, he could have been successfully treated. But the virus, carried in an infected animal's saliva, had already entered his nervous system. And then it causes brain damage, uh, which leads to paralysis difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, and excess salivation, which is why some people note this foaming at the mouth. 13% of bats in BC carry the rabies virus. Having said that, contracting the disease is very rare. Wildlife Rescue insists we should not be afraid of them, but we should be respectful. And if you come across one... Don't touch it. Leave it alone. Don't let anybody come near it. So create a perimeter around it so no children, pets, anyone goes near it. And then call your local wildlife rescue operation for advice. It looks like he's in good shape. And if you have any concerns about having had contact... It good. So it's important whether or not they notice a sign of a scratch or a bite to uh, seek health care uh, attention immediately. Because while rabies is the most fatal infection in the world, it can be cured when treated early. If anything positive can come from the tragic loss of Nick Major, it's that more people are now aware of that life-saving fact. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And one last note on this. Symptoms generally appear three to eight weeks, but sometimes several years after exposure. They include headache, fever, difficulty swallowing, excessive drooling, muscle spasms, and paralysis. So again, if you come into contact with a bat, see your doctor as soon as possible. Meantime, conservation officers are working to locate another concern, a cougar spotted in pit meadows. The big cat most recently spotted prowling near Hoffman Park by Ford Road. For days, residents have reported sightings, but no one has snapped a picture until this one. The city also issuing a warning recently after the cougar was spotted wandering in the downtown area. Attacks by cougars are rare, but if you encounter one, you're advised to make lots of noise, make yourself as big as possible, and it's best to keep kids close and pets on a short leash. 
A chemical spill at a recycling facility prompted a large emergency response this afternoon. Crews were called to Cascades Recovery at 104 and 122nd in Surrey when a forklift hit a container that has some kind of substance or liquid used in the recycling process. According to emergency health services, two people were sent to hospital. However, the area has not been evacuated and there is no immediate threat to the public. Richmond RCMP are releasing images of a suspect in an attempted robbery where the victim was pepper sprayed. Police describe the suspect seen in this photo as Asian with a slim build, wearing a black leather baseball cap with a black duffel bag across his shoulder. The incident happened last month. RCMP say a 52-year-old woman was returning to her car after leaving a currency exchange in the 6000 block of number three road. She was approached by the suspect who sprayed her several times with a substance believed to be pepper spray. He took off after unsuccessfully trying to steal her purse. If you have any information, you're asked to call Richmond RCMP. Growing debate tonight over the right solution for a tent city in Oppenheimer Park. Vancouver police recently raised safety concerns there after a shooting. Catherine Urquhart is live at City Hall now with more on this. And Catherine, it is a complicated issue and there's no easy fix, but how is the mayor responding? That's right, Chris. Tonight, Mayor Kennedy Stewart is speaking out publicly about safety concerns raised by the Vancouver Police Department. Last week, the VPD told us that they consider Oppenheimer Park so dangerous, they only attend in groups. Oppenheimer Park, epicenter of Vancouver's homeless population. This tent city now housing hundreds of Vancouver's poorest people. I sleep everywhere. Oh, okay. And I sleep outside. I've been outside for a year and a half. Safety at the park is a concern for Vancouver police following two incidents last week. There was a shooting, and earlier that same day, a VPD officer working in the area was assaulted. Our officers are going to go through the park for a call for service. They'll go uh, routinely, and what I'm hearing, in no less than four officers together, uh, just for officer safety. Vancouver's mayor is now responding to those safety concerns. Do you think it is safe there? I think that it's a, it's a tough place to live, and it's a tough place to work. And so uh, I know everybody's doing their best, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's a city, it's, things happen, and, uh, but we're trying to keep it as safe as we can for everybody. So no plans to evict people? At this point, we're uh, trying to get everybody housing. That's, okay. that's the main thing. The homeless and their advocates agree. More housing is critically needed. The solution is very simple. Take some tax money from people who can afford to pay, and there's lots of them, and use that money to build housing so no one has to sleep on the street. Vancouver's mayor says he's now pressuring Ottawa to secure more funding for social housing. Now the mayor told us that he hopes that funding could come as early as this Thursday. That's when he'll be in talks with the federal government. Chris, back to you. All right, thanks very much, Catherine. Now, a warning tonight about the temptation to take a dip in the cool waters of Lynn Canyon. It follows the heroic rescue of a 24-year-old man at Twin Falls yesterday. Aaron MacArthur has more on what happened and why rescue crews say if not for the bystanders jumping into action, the outcome could have been very different. Plenty of people swimming Tuesday in Lynn Creek. 
just below Twin Falls, the water looks so inviting. Monday night, a 24-year-old man found himself beyond his capabilities and needed to be rescued. He was pulseless, wasn't breathing, so they performed bystander CPR. Paramedics, district fire, and park rangers all managed to assist in the rescue, but it was the actions of bystanders who noticed the man struggling who saved his life. Without the bystanders doing the quick action to get him out of the water and doing bystander CPR, absolutely, it could have been a different outcome. Lynn Creek is beautiful, but deadly. Every day of the summer, someone hucks themselves off a cliff, and more often than the jumpers will admit, they get pulled out on a stretcher or worse. People don't realize that it's not a swimming pool. Um, hydraulics are very powerful. The conditions can change at any moment. It is a rainforest. Uh, there's hazards underneath the surface of the water, so it looks calm and peaceful and beautiful, but underneath you can't see the rocks or the logs. Even the spectators worry about what might happen. Well, they're pretty brave, yeah. <laughs> Maybe brave's not but the word I was thinking brave, about. Yeah, more like dangerous. <laughs> well, something you would do? Uh, probably not in my age now. Probably something I would have done maybe 10 years ago, but... It is a young man thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a young man's sport, yeah. You, you uh, always, yeah, think, oh, good luck, he, he came up again out of the water, so... The warning signs are there, and the risks, obvious. Yet people continue to climb or jump down for a dip. The first responders waiting for the next call. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Victoria Police would like to speak with a cyclist who was clipped by a car last month and it was caught on dash cam. Take a look. It shows a cyclist making their way up Blanchard Street back in June when the car's side view mirror appears to hit the cyclist, causing them to go down. Vic PD says it's spoken with the driver, but now they'd like to speak with the cyclist to ensure they weren't seriously injured and to gather more information about what happened. The trial of Andrew Barry continued today. Barry has pleaded not guilty to the Christmas Day killing of his two daughters. Today, court heard from Barry's former boss when he worked at BC Ferries, a man Barry actually lived with when he and his partner split up. Ramina Dea has the latest. The accused Andrew Barry, a numbers man, a business economist for BC Ferries. His former supervisor, Robert McNair, told the jury Barry's job was to analyze BC Ferries' passenger and vehicle traffic and make recommendations on pricing. After Barry and Sarah Cotton separate around the fall of 2013, Barry moves in with his boss for a month because he has nowhere else to go. McNair testified Barry believed she was out to get him financially. He was very determined to stay in contact with his children. He wanted to have 50-50 custody. They were very important to him. McNair said Barry told him Cotton called social services and suggested he was inappropriately touching his kids, four-year-old Aubrey and six-year-old Chloe in 2015-2016, allegations which are all unfounded. My recollection is he was afraid he would no longer have access to the children. He was very clear that it was a big thing to him, the most important thing to him. McNair said Barry's appearance became disheveled. The court case is very hard on him. May 3, 2017, Barry gracefully resigns from BC Ferries, stating in an email he enjoyed his decade with the company and he will miss it. McNair tries to get him to stay, suggesting Barry take four weeks vacation instead to give him time to deal with his family affairs. Barry declines. The same month, Barry is awarded 40% custody of his children. 
Seven months later, the girls are found dead in his apartment. Romina Dea, Global News. Metro Vancouver Transit Police are teaming up with Bar Watch in Vancouver to ensure a safer ride home. The partnership will see transit officers identify and investigate transit system users who are frequent patrons of the Granville Strip and are causing problems for other passengers on the system. That information will be shared with Bar Watch and based on the information provided, Bar Watch may consider banning those people from participating establishments. This program and this partnership will be primarily based upon those individuals that act inappropriately on public transit. If you're a sexual predator, if you're a person that harasses females, if you decide to get into a violent altercation or you want to fight with the Transit Police Department, we feel that that's inappropriate. And that level of accountability will convince people that there are consequences to your actions. Tasha Brown has not seen her daughter Cadence in three years, ever since the child's other mother allegedly abducted the child and disappeared overseas. Recently, the child resurfaced, and an emotional Brown went public today for the first time since Cadence was located. Kylie Stanton has her story. I am swirling. I am happy. I am overwhelmed. It's the news this mother only dreamed of hearing. Her daughter Cadence has been found alive and well. After three years, you only have this much hope. Tasha Brown has had some time to let it all sink in and make a plan. Announcing today she and her lawyer are preparing to bring Cadence home to Canada. Tasha Brown is the custodial parent of Cadence and has been her guardian since birth. Brown has made an application to the British courts arguing the Hague Convention that protects children and their families against the risks of illegal or ill-prepared adoptions abroad. But there are concerns the court may not recognize her rights as a same-sex parent. I would be absolutely gutted if I was denied the parental duties that I've always endeavored to uphold starting the day that Lauren and I made that very conscious and calculated decision to become parents. Lauren Etchells is Cadence's mother. In May of 2016, the two boarded a flight out of Canada, along with her new partner and their newborn son, Marcus, violating a court order between Etchells and Brown. Eventually, Interpol published a red notice, stopping her movements, at least officially. The Jersey police had a report of a suspicious boat landing on their shores. So they went and investigated it. Etchells, her parents, and the two small children were found landing a 13-foot inflatable dinghy on the shores just south of St. Catherine. She has pleaded guilty to the charges of child neglect and immigration offenses. Extradition proceedings are ongoing. As for Cadence, she remains in foster care, and the case is now in the hands of the British court. And so my hope is, is that they will um, obey the Hague Convention and return this child to, to Canada. Brown doesn't know if or when her case will be heard, but she's just grateful to have the opportunity to try. She doesn't have to hide from the world anymore. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Right now, though, it sounds almost too good to be true for anyone ever stuck in traffic on the I-5. Vancouver to Seattle in one hour, all the way to Portland in only two. According to a new report, that's not only possible with ultra-high-speed rail, but it's worth the investment. Ted Chernecki has the details, and who's making a business case for the rail link now? 
It's long been dreamed about, a bullet-like train whisking passengers up and down North America's west coast at speeds approaching 400 kilometers an hour. Now, yet another report from Washington State's Department of Transportation suggests not only could a high-speed line be built between Vancouver and Portland, it should be built. Could transform um, travel in this region and really connect this mega region um, to um, really make it an economic powerhouse. The report predicts 355 billion U.S. dollars in economic growth, a system capable of moving 32,000 people an hour. And the real beauty of the idea is that B.C.'s contribution would be just that part of the line to the U.S. border from a central station, possibly in Surrey or at YVR. If we can connect our communities through high-speed rail, we can reduce travel times, we can reduce GHG emissions, fewer flights, more train travel, also an opportunity to... um, create a hub south of the Fraser. We're thinking at this point uh, uh, Surrey would be the terminus. Microsoft is one of 27 agencies from Washington State, B.C. and Oregon who all back the plan. The report notes that to add just one lane in each direction on the I-5 for the length of Washington State would cost a staggering $108 billion. That's more than twice the $24 to $42 billion price tag for high-speed rail, if that's what it in fact comes in at. In this world, inflation occurs all the time. So the longer it takes to do it, uh, the less you don't get a 100% firm commitment on the funding, particularly on the U.S. side, the more delays there'll be, the more cost overruns that'll occur. Case in point, California's LA to San Francisco high-speed line is ballooning past $77 billion for a track that's only about 150 kilometers longer than the Cascadia proposal. If or when Cascadia happens, you should be able to travel Vancouver to Seattle sometime in the mid-2030s in less than an hour. Ted Schnacki, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the potential costs here. And Keith, how they compare to other major projects that BC has to pay for too. Exactly, Chris. I mean, obviously the numbers here are very big. Ted's numbers in his story, $24 billion to $42 billion. It's a lot of money. BC probably will only pay about 10 to 20% of that, uh, if that, uh, which still works out to a lot of money. But to put it in context and perspective, keep in mind the BC government spends billions of dollars on all sorts of things every year. So, uh, heading the, the list, the Site C Dam is going to come in at well north of $10.7 billion. But BC Hydro doesn't stop there. They've got a lot of other hydro projects they're building, uh, more, approaching $6 billion over the next few years. The Broadway subway line, the cost hasn't been totally set in stone. That's nearing $3 billion when all is said and done there. Uh, other schools, ongoing expansion and creation of new schools is expected to be uh, over $2 billion when that program's completed. The new St. Paul's Hospital and Royal Columbian Hospital replacement, over $3 billion when all is said and done. And of course, there's that Patella Bridge at about $1.4 billion when it's completed. So the numbers are huge anytime you build capital projects, Chris. It's going to be interesting whether this train project, if it actually goes ahead, can fit on that list of priorities. It's a big economic generator. I have a feeling the NDP would love to be part of that uh, production schedule with neighboring states. But it's a big project, big numbers, but we're spending big numbers every year anyways. Yeah, and that didn't include the Massey Tunnel replacement either, did it, Keith? So yeah, lots of money still on the table. An American company has been fined for a fuel spill in Bella Bella in 2016. A tugboat and barge owned by Texas-based Kirby Corporation spilled more than 100,000 liters of diesel when it sank in Gale Pass. The Haltzuk First Nation was the coastline, or says the coastline was devastated, and they still can't fish there. 
The company pleaded guilty to three counts under the Fisheries Act and has been fined $2.9 million. A civil case for damages filed by the nation is still ongoing. A big day for workers at the C-SPAN shipyards in Victoria. The federal government announcing $500 million to maintain Canada's fleet of 12 Halifax-class frigates until they're replaced in about 20 years. Another contract is going to a Quebec shipyard with another deal to be signed soon with a Nova Scotia shipyard. The government says the investment will sustain or create 400 jobs at each of those shipyards. A Chilliwack woman is being hailed as a hero and she is in need of help. She suffered life-altering injuries last May when she tried unsuccessfully to rescue a man in a wheelchair who was stuck on a railway crossing. As Nadia Stewart reports, she's still struggling to recover from the traumatic incident and feels that going public is her last hope. And a warning, some of the images in this story are graphic. I'm always very careful picking up dishes. For Julie Callahan, even the smallest daily task is now a painful one. I can't clap properly. Sure, I can do this, but it's painful, so I won't do it. Little things, little things that just everyone else can do that I just can't do anymore. Callahan says she has no regrets, but over the last year, she's thought a lot about May 26, 2018. She and another woman jumped out of their cars to help Matthew Jarvis. His wheelchair stuck in a rail crossing. His wife, forever grateful. These angels that tried to help him off the train tracks because his wheels were stuck. I thank you. The train bearing down on them, the women were unable to save Jarvis. Callahan let him go just as the train came. It hit her hand and the damage was worse than anyone could have imagined. I got awarded a, an award recently and the caption at the bottom said my hand had been clipped by the train. And that's not realistic. A motor dysfunction, the result of a crippling disease in her nervous system. Three fingers are practically dead. Her last hope, amputation. How do you even consider figure out where you can get that money from. But at over $80,000, it's something her family cannot afford. Asking the community and the world to try and help step up and help fund the cost of my hand so I can get back to some sense of normal is a huge ask. And it's also her last hope, because right now, Callahan says if this doesn't work out, there is no plan B. Nadia Stork, Global News. A BC MLA is getting a lot of attention tonight for her inspiring post on Twitter. Parksville Qualicum Liberal MLA and multiple Paralympics gold medalist Michelle Stilwell posted video of her walking on a locomat, a treadmill with a harness and robotic attachments for a patient's legs. The machine gives people with mobility issues more effective physiotherapy. It wasn't tiring. It was, um, you saw the smile on my face. So it was, it was a great experience because it's something unique to me that I haven't done in many, many years. And I think for the most part, I just was thinking about the opportunities for benefit from doing the exercise and what I can possibly gain from it. And then also thinking about what others can gain from it and who out of my network and my friends would benefit from it. And Michelle, I hope you forgive me for calling you Moira earlier. Stillwell lost the ability to walk at the age of 17 
when she fell down a flight of stairs and broke her neck, and we wish her the very best in her continued treatment and recovery. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Fifty years ago today, people around the world watched as Apollo 11 lifted off from the Kennedy Space Center to put the first man on the moon. Four days later, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin successfully landed, planting the American flag on the lunar surface and thrilling the millions of people who watched the coverage on TV. Now, many believe that Apollo 11 couldn't have flown without the expertise and the experience of Canadian engineers who landed at NASA a decade before. As Global's Mike Armstrong reports, they were there because of their work developing a brilliant but ill-fated Canadian fighter jet that ended up being canceled. One thing that doesn't come up very often when people discuss the death of the Avro Aero is the aircraft's bad luck. When it was unveiled at the plant north of Toronto, October 4th, 1957, its big event was overshadowed by a much bigger international news story. It was literally the same day the Soviet Union put the world's first satellite into space. There was fear the nature of warfare could be changing, and with costs of the arrow ballooning, the Canadian government a year later pulled the plug. Well, that bad luck for Avro was good luck for a brand new organization in the U.S., NASA. It was expanding and looking for engineers. The cancellation of the Avro Arrow meant Canada had a bunch of them looking for work. NASA's Space Task Force only had about 100 engineers in 1959 and added 30 from the Arrow program. About half were Canadian, half were British. Brian Erb is originally from Calgary. It was his idea to balance out the temperatures on the spacecraft by slowly turning it. He called it the barbecue roll. Basically the whole notion was you you take up a position with the long axis of the uh, spacecraft stack perpendicular to the direction of the sun and just equilibrate the heat distribution by rolling it slowly. And I can't even remember what the roll rate was now. It was, I think, something like six revolutions an hour. Uh, how important was that? Well, I'd like to think it was absolutely critical, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Herb still lives in Texas, but even though he stayed in the U.S., he still played a role in helping build Canada's space program. For a time in the 1980s, he was actually the Canadian Space Agency's representative at the Johnson Space Center. As for the moon landing itself, 50 years ago this coming Saturday, for that occasion, Herb says he bought a new TV and still considers it one of the greatest moments of his life. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Ottawa. On the topic of television, a Canadian comedy series that became an international hit thanks to Netflix is featured in today's Emmy nominations, which are dominated once again by an HBO blockbuster. The nominees for lead actress in a drama series are Amelia Clark, Game of Thrones. Now we will win the last The mega hit Game of Thrones picking up a record 32 nominations, including lead actress, lead actor, and best drama series. My name the Canadian-produced Schitt's Creek also getting some love up for Best Comedy Series and Lead Actress and Actor in a Comedy Series. Its competition for Best Comedy includes Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the hit Veep. And Canadian Sandra Oh is up for two trophies for her leading role in Killing Eve and for her hosting appearance on Saturday Night Live. Good luck to all of them. Alberta researchers are the first in the world to discover a new type of heart cell. The most amazing part is that until now, surgeons have been throwing it away. This discovery is attracting attention from around the world because it could change how doctors perform heart surgery. 
Global Sulingo reports. During an open heart surgery, doctors remove the fluid from the sac around the heart, but new research shows that might not be the right thing to do. We never thought that that fluid really did anything at all. I'm a surgeon. I suck it away into uh, the trash every surgery that I do. Now I'm starting to rethink that. Turns out that fluid contains previously unknown cells, which actually help heal the heart. And what we notice is when you're lacking these cells, your hearts actually start to scar quite a bit more. They become more rigid and are not able to pump the blood as efficiently to other parts of the body. Unlike other organs, the heart has little ability to heal itself, other than forming a stiff scar tissue which can't contract. University of Calgary scientists Justin Denisette and Paul Koobs initially discovered the new immune cells in mice. These cells, the green ones, move from the pericardial fluid into the damaged area to reduce scarring. And they're in high numbers. In fact, they're the most common cell type in that fluid. Cardiac surgeon Paul Fedak helped confirm the cells are also in humans, meaning a potential new therapy. Instead of throwing that fluid away, we could just put it back into the patient's uh, space um, at the, at the uh, end of a heart surgery. It's certainly possible to do. The team is now looking at how to multiply those helpful cells, maybe develop a medication. I mean, it is exciting. It changes the way we think about how the heart heals and maybe components that we were completely ignoring having a major role. They say it's a reminder there is so much about the human body that we don't yet know. So we really shouldn't make any assumptions that things are redundant or not useful in the body. The body is well thought out, it knows what it's doing, and we just need to explore it more. Well, it started as a joke on Facebook, but now it has the U.S. military issuing a warning. We'll have the details of the social media phenomenon coming up right after weather. We'll check in with Christy right now. A lot of people talking about the sunshine, but you've got something a little more interesting behind you. That's right. Some parts of the Hanmaral House region um, woke up to a bit of fog this morning, and uh, this one person, Danita, saw a fog bow, and she emailed me wondering, is that actually a thing? Yes, Danita, it is a thing, and it's produced by the same process that you would have with a normal rainbow. We call it the cousin to the rainbow, where the sunlight actually refracts off of the moisture particles that are in the fog. So it's the same sort of process. Kind of neat to see, though, and it's it. Thanks for sharing that with us, Danita. All right, moving on. Here's a look at our forecast. We've got a big change on the way, but summer's going to disappear for a little bit, but it will return with vengeance later on. Here's a look at your morning commute, though. Leave yourself some extra time. 16 degrees, heavy rain, especially near the North Shore. It'll come at times, uh, but we certainly will see patches in the afternoon. Conditions ease up to showers, but still certainly unsettled. I'm hoping for the sun to just peek through, but it may not happen across Metro Vancouver region. Keeping our fingers crossed, though. It's all because of this front that's going to shift down towards the south coast. So this is the tomorrow morning time frame. And you can see it is heavy at times, especially along the mountains. In the afternoon, it eases up as that front pushes inland and sort of breaks up. Most areas along the mountains and in the interior have a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon as well. And with the front pushing across the interior regions, later in the afternoon, near the dinner time hour, we could see wind gusts in the 50 to 60 kilometer an hour range. And this is all the way from the mountains 
mountains in through the interior all the way to the Kootenay area. So watch for that in the afternoon along with those thunderstorms. So there's your tomorrow, mainly rain in the morning, showers in the afternoon, a risk of thunderstorms and gusty winds tomorrow. So tomorrow's a rather stormy day. And then we will see things change. Thursday, Friday, a bit of a transition day. We have a slight chance of showers, but then Saturday, Sunday, that's when the ridge begins to build. And we've got a nice stretch of weather from there on in, Chris. Quite a stretch of sunshine there. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Now we know what a fog po is. Well, it may have started as a joke on Facebook, but the U.S. military is taking it seriously. More than a million people from around the world have signed up for an event on September 20th called Storm Area 51. They can't stop all of us. Area 51 in Nevada is the top secret military base where apparently millions of people believe the U.S. government is keeping alien spacecraft or even aliens. The U.S. Air Force has issued an ominous warning that any attempt to illegally access military installations is, quote, dangerous. Meantime, the owner of the Little Ailey Inn, get it? The only restaurant and motel near Area 51 is expecting some booming business in September. We'll see what happens. Hmm. I've always Baseball. been fascinated by Area 51. It is amazing. There's it all is. kinds of things going on there, but whether it's aliens or not. All right, Jay's in with sports. I know you are a massive golf fan, and uh, it's a big week. It is a big week. You're a golfer, too. I am. Oh, yeah. We're just debating Not who's going to win. Who we're, putting our, who, who we're betting on. Brooks Kapko. Brooks Galas. Here we go. Fine-tuning continues at Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland, hosted the 148th Open Championship. Portrush last hosted the Open in 1951. Brooks Kepka always a favorite come majors time. He's finished second, first, second, respectively, in the first three majors of the season. No golfer in the modern era has placed in the top two of all four majors in the same year. Tiger Woods actually reached out to Kepka earlier in the week about playing a practice round together. He was ghosted by Kepka. Hasn't heard back from him about playing the practice round. Tiger, by the way, last won the Open Championship in 2006. Really hasn't played all that much, though, since the Masters. We'll see how much of a factor that Tiger is. Uh, it's not quite, not quite as sharp as I'd like to have it right now. Um, my touch around the greens is right where I, right where I needed to have it. Um, I still need to get the ball, <clears throat> shaping the golf ball a little bit better than I am right now. Um, especially with the the weather coming in and the wind winds are going to be changing. Um, going to have to be able to you know, cut the ball, draw the ball, hit it different heights, and move it all around. And um, you know, today I was today was it was a good rain session. I, I need another one tomorrow, um, and hopefully that'll be enough to be ready. I mean, Rory's going to be hard to beat because he's Rory McIlroy. Uh, it's not because we're playing Royal Portrush. I think that's. I mean, he's one of the best players in the world. He's won a lot of times, won a lot of majors, and he's really, really good at golf. So he's going to be hard to beat because of that. Um, not just because we're here. I think. There's just a lot of things that go into it. It doesn't matter how many times you've played a golf course and, and how many times you've seen it. You still have to hit the shots and, and, and execute and make the putts when you need to get up and down and you need to get the breaks. I mean, that's, that's stuff that happens when you win golf tournaments. But, but yeah, obviously he's, he's um, you know, he's, I'm sure he's the favorite if you're looking stuff up but, or whatever it might be. But uh, I know there's a lot of people, myself included, that are um, that feel like they have a good chance and, and want to give them a run. 
Forget about Remember the Titans. Next year, it's going to be get up and close and personal and cheer on your Vancouver Titans. Canucks Sports and Entertainment announcing today that the Titans and the Esports Overwatch League will host a two-day homestand at Rogers Arena. Now, we've introduced you to the esports world with stories in the past. The global interest in esports is nothing short of phenomenal. We're literally talking about well over a billion people either playing or watching video games, and the Titans are one of the best teams playing Overwatch. It's huge, you know, and, and just not only just Vancouver, but the Pacific Northwest as well. Uh, now when, you know, the Vancouver Titans will be in, in Vancouver and at Rogers, it gives our fan base just a real big special homecoming and also an area where we can really build out the best kind of festival. And that, that's our goal here at Canuck Sports Entertainment is fan engagement, giveaways, uh, music aspect, and it's going to be it's going to be very very special. It's it's a lot of noise, it's a lot of action, it's a lot of cheering. Uh, you, you walk into any sort of esport game, and especially an Overwatch game at Blizzard Arena, and, it, and the the emotion and the intensity hits you right off the bat. He has to be careful. He's caught out. Oh. He's, he's down. That's the first pick, and now the rest would follow. Puffy, it's a huge ass shadow, and the Vancouver Titans stand on the precipice. They say the North never forgets. When I look at the Titans, they're the most successful, you know, pro pro sports team in the city. Yeah. When you look at the Whitecaps are struggling, the Lions are struggling. The Titans are going to bring some positivity here because they are playing some good games. They, they are. I mean, they're they're first of, first overall in the, in the Overwatch League right now, and uh, we're really excited uh, for for hopefully making a grand finals appearance and uh, and maybe bringing a, a season two championship home to Vancouver. Speaking of the BC Lions, they're back on the practice field today as they prepare for the Riders in Saskatchewan on Saturday. Lions 1-4 record sticking out like an oversized parking lot speed bump. Lions coach Devon Claybrooks is a self-professed mama's boy. Deep down we all are, by the way. Devon talks to his mother daily, and even his mom has a lot to say about BC's dreadful start. Um, she, she, the, the craziest thing is, the first thing she says, baby, we got to tackle. We just got to tackle. If we tackle, we're going to be all right. She's like, and then, you know, my mom's very, 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 my family's very religious. And she believes that, you know, before there's a, well, you always get a setback before there's a breakthrough. And she understands that and believes that. And you just got to keep the faith and trust and believe in your system. Trust and believe in the gods that you have in the room. There's no, there's no babysitting in professional sports. You got to show up and show out. And right now we're showing up and they're showing out. So we have to make sure that we show out. And we do that together and we take those steps together. Down. Blue Jays in Boston. Toronto beating play today. 35 wins, 60 losses. Oh, 25 and a half games back in the East. Only 18 and a half, though, of the wild card. Not a good start. Xander Bogarts goes yard and then some. Over the monster, right out of the ballpark. There's a quick 1-0 lead Boston in the bottom of the first inning, but the Jays responding with a blast of their own. Teoscar Hernandez clubbing a three-run dinger. Jays have put six up on their board. They're in the seventh inning right now to 6-4 Toronto. That's your sports. California's White Mountains is out of hospital and telling quite a story. Cheryl Powell was camping with her family when she says she ran into the woods and got lost after being confronted by a man with a knife. Yeah, right. Tonight, Cheryl Powell is back in the arms of family, out at the hospital, sharing her story of survival. A guy comes from behind the, 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 you know, from behind a tree, whatever, and you know, grabs a hold of me. I'm really scary and threatened with his knife. Powell says, while at this remote campsite with her husband, she walked away to use the bathroom with her dog when a man hiding in the trees suddenly surprised her, threatening to harm her. The first thing that's going to happen here is I'm going to I'm going to use this knife on your dog, and then if you don't let me have your way on my way with you, I'll use it on you. 
Fearing for her life, Powell says she and her dog were able to escape into Central California's White Mountains. Her husband says he suspected foul play all along. I want this guy to be caught. This this monster has to be caught. And that's nothing at this point is more important than catching this guy. For three nights and four days, search teams scoured the mountains, finally coming across Powell's dog and then her. The Powells met with investigators today. Authorities will only say our office is actively investigating the circumstances surrounding her disappearance. We have no further information. Luckily, I'm here. <laughs> and all the great help and support from everybody made it happen. Tonight, the Powells are headed home with an unforgettable story. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Strange one. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Decent camping weather after tomorrow is what it looks right. like. I guess a little rain coming for us on Wednesday. Heaviest uh, will begin overnight. We'll see it through the morning hours. I would leave yourself a little bit of extra time tomorrow morning for your commute. Uh, it could be slower in the afternoon, just showers. And Thursday and Friday are going to be cooler, a little bit more cloudy, slight chance of showers. So those are sort of our transition day. And much of the province will be dealing with unsettled weather Thursday, Friday. It's not till Saturday that we've got a really nice ridge of high pressure that's going to build. And it could likely last through much of next week also. Looks amazing. Starting to look a lot like summer. Yeah, you're going to want to be out golfing, not at home watching golf. Thursday, Friday, it's okay. Open. Starts Open, early in the morning. Starts early, that's right. Before the sun's even Got a up. plan, my friend. Got a plan. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> what a great shot. All right, enjoy the evening, folks. We'll see you back here tomorrow.